0: Welcome to Hippie Witch, magic for a new age. I'm your host, Joanna DeVone, and this is a happy, hippie place for talking all things magic, witches and fiction, and creating the kick-ass life of your dreams. Hi, thanks for joining me for episode 411 of Hippie Witch, Magic for a New Age. My name is Joanna DeVoe and I am the kooky creatrix behind Kickass Switch, Putting the K in Magic, and Hippie Witch, the show you are listening to right now. I also have a free, F-R-E-E, free Ebook book by that name, Hippie Witch, Peace, Love, and all that good shit. And you can pick up a copy of that for free at www.joannadevoe.com or back on the description page for this episode back on Blog Talk Radio, where you will also find a link to The Naked Pastor. David Hayward is on the show today, and I believe that this is going to be received as a gift by many of you. I'm seeing it that way. I am giving you a gift with this interview because I have heard from so, so many listeners that you all struggle with or you have in the past struggled with breaking free of the religious dogma that you grew up in and that you may have experienced some kind of spiritual abuse and that is really his wheelhouse. That's what he talks about and makes art Based on. And in addition to that, we talk about the bummer that is having a poverty mentality. And I know so many of you know what I mean when I say a poverty mentality. And David actually associates that with spiritual abuse. I don't even know if he uses that terminology, but I do. I do. And that's what I say we are talking about here today. And I know so many of you struggle with a poverty mentality as well. I know these things because I hear from you, which I totally appreciate. Thank you so much for taking the time to reach out that way. And if you are ever wondering why the episode count here jumps forward a couple of places sometimes, it's because I do count certain episodes on Patreon as bonus hippie witch content. So I do that with both episodes of The Brave each month and The Brave is a tier there where we do this really fun Q&A style thing to get the conversation going on one topic two ways. So you all get a say and I get a say and I love doing that every month. So there's two of those that I do count in my little countdown of how many episodes I've done of Hippie Witch and sometimes at the top of the month, I do a podcast for the, the Tribe, which is the first tier there. Although this year, I've done more videos for that. I've done videos almost all year for that tier, just because people seem to like it. And it's nice, I think, to pop in every once in a while and be like, Hello, I have a face. I do have a face. So that is why. Sometimes, like the last episode here that you may have listened to on the public podcast was 409, and this one is 411. So there's that, which leads me to the very important business of thanking the lovely people who support the show over there. Thank you. Thank you so much for keeping groceries in the fridge for the kid and I. Thank you to anybody who has ever supported the show over on Patreon. And I want to give a special shout out to new patrons. Mandy Zeller. Cat. Just cat. I actually like to think of you as an actual cat. Cat. (laughs) Because it gives me the giggles. Gina Cox. So nice to hang out with you over on Discord. That's something you all can do if you join Patreon. We chat over on this on this little what is it? App a chatting app called Discord. I love it. I love it because it lets me get to know you all even better. And Mrs. Terry Tarot. Mrs. Terry Tarot, thank you all so much for supporting the show. I hope you are enjoying all. All the bonus content over there. There's a lot. There's a lot. I've been creating it for a good long while there. And you are welcome to dig back through the archives as much as you like. I also have a correction to make today. I should probably start a second podcast called The Corrections Show with Joe. Because (laughs) I always end up, I don't know, flip-flopping my words around or throwing out some little factoid that is actually not correct, which makes it not a factoid at all. I do actually end up correcting myself quite a bit over on Patreon, I have to say. (laughs) But sometimes, sometimes if it's just merely embarrassing on my own behalf, I'll just let it go like whatever. I think, you know, I'm just living up to the kooky reputation that I have and calling myself the kooky creatrix. (laughs) And sometimes that involves making flubs but this one I think I need to correct because it involves the law and I don't I don't want to inadvertently encourage anybody to break the law. So Emma on Twitter wrote to me to say she loves the show. Thank you Emma. I totally appreciate it. And then she went on to say I did want to mention that Oakland and Denver decriminalized magic mushrooms. They didn't legalize it. So you cannot go to a store and buy them like you can with cannabis. But if you happen to have it, you won't be penalized for it. So I said that they legalized. What were the three things I said? that I know peyote was one. Psilocybin, you know, magic mushrooms was the, another. And ayahuasca, I think, was the third That was not correct. And actually, when I announced that to you all, I was announcing it within the context of a correction. Because it was with the interview with Johanna Warren that I said they legalized it in San Francisco. And then in the intro, I had to correct that by saying, no, no, no. So sorry, it's not San Francisco. It's Oakland. And now I have to add another no, 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 no to that whole thing. No, 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 no. It's not legalized. It's decriminalized. Why? Why? Why do the laws have to be so complicated? (laughs) We can either do it or we can't. Can we just like break it down for people like me that way? That would be awesome. So anyway, I thought that was it was important to make that distinction and and clear up that little mistake that I made. And let's just get into this interview with with David Hayward, a.k.a. The Naked Pastor. I really, I've spoken about this before. It's a subject that really interests me because it's so personal to me. And what I mean by spiritual abuse is, I mean the messages that many of us grew up with about being unworthy and dirty and, born into sin and in need of saving it's a very like shame based way of growing up even if you had like super loving parents if you grew up in the church whatever that church may be you might have received some of this messaging and what it does gosh it does so many things and we talk about that during the interview but it sets you up for abusive relationships it teaches you to deny your own nature and to subvert your own needs and intuition to turn your power over to someone else your spiritual power teaching you that you need a middleman and that your intuition and your own personal connection with god is not enough it can get you into a really punitive mindset in which you actually focus that internally and you you develop like self Punishing thought processes and behavior. It really sends a message that you need saving. And I could just go on and on and on and on and on. To me, the opposite of spiritual abuse is freedom. And I mean that personally, like your own personal freedom to free yourself of that dogma. But I also think that the more of us that untangle ourself from the systemic uh, is the word that comes up in this interview and I like it the systemic spiritual abuse that we grew up in the more you free yourself from that the more opportunity the people around you have to be Free, particularly if you have kids, but even people that have to deal with you in the workplace and things like that. Because if you grew up in fundamentalism, it can give you the kind of mindset that is just like naturally dogmatic and polarizing. Even if you think that you're over it, it can show up in your politics, it can show up in the dogma of food. I recognize this a lot in the New Age community with certain diets where people kind of get this, you know, you're either with us or you're against us. You're either partaking in this particular diet, which is the one true and perfect diet, or you're going to, you know, the proverbial hell with all the rest of you sinners who have not enlightened yourself enough to be as pure (laughs) as those of us eating this particular diet. And of course that shows up in politics. It's just something is either all good or all bad. It's dualistic, black and white thinking that becomes your approach to life. So it's funny, you think you've escaped it with religion and that ends up following you around to other aspects of your life. And it becomes like your approach to everything. It can also really set you up to fall in with a savior. Like it can give you that kind of I need a savior complex. Where you're really susceptible to online gurus and things like that. So it's good to have these conversations. And, and we don't even get into cultural spiritual abuse. You know how colonizers would go around and wipe out entire cultures, religions to replace it with their own and how that that was like the original form of spiritual abuse. To take somebody's God away from them is it's soul-crushing. It rocks them to the core. and then of course, It leads to all kinds of other issues. So this is an awesome conversation to have. I hope we have it more often. And without any further ado, here is the Naked Pastor. Hi, David. Welcome to Hippie Witch.
1: Hippie Witch. Hi, how are you? I'm
0: good. I'm good. I'm good. I'm so excited to get to have you on the podcast because I interviewed you once before many years ago in video. So I think you're new to a lot of the people listening here, and
1: they're going. Hi, everybody!
0: Yeah, hi. (laughs) (laughs) I think they're really gonna love what you are all about because one of the main things that I get emailed about is talking about being raised Mennonite brethren, and Mm. my parents are missionaries, Mm -hmm. and just my journey in Mm -hmm. untangling myself from guilt and all the. Very yep. un Jesus like ideals that you can be raised <laughs> up yeah. on, and that's what you're all about as the naked pastor. Yeah, that's me. Do you want to give everyone a bit of history sure. on like what the naked pastor is? You were literally a pa- I assume you have clothes on right now, but you were literally <laughs> you were literally a pastor for a long I, time.
1: Yes, yes, that's right. I, I'm like you. I was raised in Christian home, and. Um, <clears throat> very um, on the conservative evangelical end of things and grew up in church and youth group and getting saved and being born again and rededicating my life and you know all that stuff and uh, being good. um, I went from there to Bible college and I got a degree in Um, Bible and theology there and then from there I went and got my master's in New Testament and then from there I went and got another uh, I got a diploma in ministry at McGill University in Montreal and then from there I got ordained and so I was ordained as a as a minister and I served local churches of different kinds for about 30 years and in 2010 I, I left the ministry and the church and focused on what i do i had been blogging as naked pastor for since about 2005 and so i decided to pour everything into that and to see if i could make a go of it as a a job as my income and sure enough it's worked out i mean i have several things going on but basically what i do is naked pastor means i am Just being open and honest, vulnerable, transparent. I'm fully clothed right now. I usually am. And uh, I'm usually PG. And, uh, you know, I just help people go through the process that I went through, and sounds like you went through, of what we call deconstruction, where we sort of have to dissemble and and take apart our beliefs change our beliefs and come to a new place in our spirituality where we're comfortable and free and feel at peace with and is organic to who we are and that's that's what I help people do and it's it's a very difficult traumatic transition for most people because um it's it's almost like um leaving a cult or you know deprogramming our, ourselves from yes. being brainwashed for so many years and it's very traumatic, very lonely, very frightening for people and uh, i just help them get through that in a healthy way and i i do that by writing and cartooning and painting. And I have an online community called The Lasting Supper. And, you know, for people who are going through that and want community while they do it. So yeah, that's what I'm about in a nutshell.
0: The Lasting Supper. What kind of things do you do? And that's been around a long time. I think that we talked about that the first time I interviewed you.
1: Yeah, that's been around since 2012. It's an online community. Basically, you know, I, I provide resources every week through letters and we, we've got podcasts, interviews recorded of the members and videos and things like that. But where all, where most of the activity is taking place is in a private group, private Facebook group, where we um, just support one another and share our stories and vent and just listen. Mm-hmm. And very diverse group from, that is made up of people anywhere from believer to atheist and everybody in between. Yeah, we just, just support one another and respect one another's spiritual journeys, no matter what they are. And, you know, because I truly believe in spiritual independence, what I call spiritual independence, where you have the right to decide how you want to be spiritual. And um, so we just provide a safe place to support that.
0: Yes. yes. That's yeah. such a beautiful beautiful thing, and I love that there's a paywall that people have to pass through to join the community because that actually oh. ends up not only compensating you for your time and energy, but mm-hmm. it it creates a safe space for people to feel in community. and when yeah. they're talking about something that is so deeply personal. it's often I have found too, people that are atheists or won't or weren't raised. They may have gone to church here and there on holidays or even every Sunday, but not raised with a particular kind of intensity. They don't really understand what that journey is about and how heavy it can be. So to have a nice space for that, I think, is really important.
1: Yeah, no, I agree. Um, And not just atheists, even, even believers have a hard time understanding. Like, a lot of people are like, why why is this so difficult and traumatic? Like, it's just like you stop believing in Santa Claus or you don't believe in unicorns or whatever, um, or the spaghetti monster, whatever. And it's like, no, it's not like that because it's, it's like our beliefs were so entangled in everything and enmeshed in everything we did. Absolutely. Everything we did was soaked in our religious thinking And our beliefs. And so it's not just as easy as, you know, throwing out one tiny little belief because every belief was sewn into like tentacles. It it just reached into everything that we did. And so it really is like a deprogramming and it's very difficult for a lot of people.
0: Yeah, one thing I learned when I was recovering from post traumatic stress disorder. I had a lot I I was diagnosed with that however many years ago and I had a lot of guilt and shame about that diagnosis because I was not like violently raped on the street. I wasn't right. in war. What happened right. to me, I really haven't spoken much about here on the podcast, but it was something that pulled the rug out from underneath me. And touched mm-hmm. every area of my life and what I learned is that people can get post traumatic stress disorder when their reality is all of a sudden just it's not what they thought it was. It right. makes them question everything. They they lose their orientation to the world around them, they get very yep. anxious and depressed mm-hmm. and physical symptoms occur. So I can see Absolutely. I can see that being related to to leaving it is kind of cult-like in a way. I don't know. I, I hesitate to say that, but my true belief is it is a gigantic cult of, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of brainwashing. It's it's unintentional, I guess, is why I hesitate to say that, because well-meaning people are involved in it,
1: and they're right.
0: doing the best they can. Do you know what right. I mean?
1: Yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, I, I don't think there's anything, like where I grew up. I compare it to leaving a cult or, or um, deprogramming only in in its intensity and the seriousness of it. I, I, I don't think there was anything really sinister going on in, in any of the, well, most the groups I was in <clears throat> or churches or whatever. It's just, it's just so all-encompassing, you know, and uh, just takes up Like I say, it's like the tentacles. It it infects the whole system. It's like my wife is a nurse, and I said, what do you call that when somebody has something wrong with them and it affects everything, and you can't just treat one little symptom. You have to go after, and she said, systemic. And Mm -hmm. I said, that's the word. Mm -hmm. It's systemic. Everything is affected, and you can't just say, oh, well, just, you know, so you don't believe in hell anymore. Just let that go. No big deal. It's not that easy. And because it's it's infected every part of our thinking, and therefore every part of our lives, and it's actual now uh, a real thing in therapy. They they call it religious uh, stress disorder, post religious stress disorder. Oh and my it's gosh, it's a real. I see, it's I, a real
0: thing. Oh yes, I can see it, and I that makes post religious. What did you call
1: it? Well, it's like PTSD, but it's instead of uh, trauma. Uh, traumatic, it's religious, so post-religious stress disorder.
0: Mm, That ties right into this idea of spiritual abuse. To me, there is a Mm. sinister component to telling a small child that they are innately unworthy and bad and repeating that message over and over and over again and needs Mm -hmm. saving. And if they do not follow these exact rules... Particularly if they're gay, for example, (laughs) that's very dramatic. Um, But if they they don't follow these rules, they will burn in hell forever. Yeah. Eternity. And Mm -hmm. this whole I, I do think there's something sinister about that and that there is going back through the past that that was intentionally baked into the Bible and distorted, if there was a real Jesus, I'm not sure if there was, but if there was definitely distorted what his message was in order to put the fear in people, (laughs) I think that's sinister. I think that's disturbing because beyond moving beyond, do I believe in this or not? Then you have to do the layers of, am I worthy? Can I love myself? And that's a whole other journey.
1: Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah no I I'd, I'd agree with you there. I I think what I was trying to express was agreement with you that see this is the problem with um uh, a lot of us who've come out of really intense religious communities and stuff is they everybody's so sincere. Like it's they're so sincere and and they seem to be kind and everything's supportive like well, one thing I recommend people do when they don't understand, I said, have have you seen Wild Wild West or whatever that mm-hmm. documentary is? I have or not, have you but seen, I
0: know what it is. Yes.
1: Or uh, have you seen the one that CNN did of the guy in Hawaii? And the, then there's a bunch of other documentaries on cults. and. Each and every one when they're interviewing ex cult members, they're all crying because they miss the community, the intensity of the community, and it was so bonding and they were so in love and so in supportive of each other and everything and they really miss that. I mean, they got they got mistreated. I mean it was horrible. But they all miss that that intensity of being loved and cared for and that's kind of like what it is for a lot of people is uh it's just so confusing how can people who love me my parents my pastor you know the other people in the church the neighbors who brought
0: me casseroles when my wife died the people who helped me get a job when i was unemployed
1: exactly how how you know um how can they now you know, I'm seen as the enemy and backslidden and, you know, they won't talk to me anymore, you know, this kind of thing. So it is, it is very, very complicated, very complicated for sure.
0: So the naked pastor is, Mm -hmm. I I just love your consistency. I have to say, I love when an artist begins something and then stays so consistent with it over the years. And you have done that with these comics. It's like a comic (laughs) strip and well, it's not a comic strip. How would you define it? cartoons, cartoons about what we're talking about right now. And I just want people to know that because they definitely need to go follow you on their favorite social media so they can enjoy these cartoons that are so consistent in quality and messaging year after year after year. And so were you doing this back in 2005 when you were blogging and you were a pastor at the same time?
1: Yeah, I started cartooning in 2006. I'd started blogging earlier, but I thought, you know, I'm going to try <clears throat> I'm going to try cartooning because I already was an artist and I would seen some other cartoonists online and stuff and I thought, I'm going to give it a shot and see if I can do it. So, I thought I'm going to do one every day until I can't think of any more and I thought I would last maybe a month. Um, and here I am, gee, you know, 13 years, 14 years later still drawing cartoons so uh yeah it's um it's I just find them a very effective way they they say a picture's worth a thousand words and sometimes my cartoons really do strike a chord with people and sometimes I, I miss but you know a lot of times I I do really help people out or open their eyes or provide some shock value or Comedy or something, so. Mm-hmm.
0: It's I think this simple absurdity of a cartoon can make you see life in a way that a really important speech <laughs> or, yeah. book, or book cannot, and it does it very quickly. It it kind of surprises you and catches you off guard and makes you see yourself in a mm-hmm. in a friendly way. That's not. Mm-hmm. It's not too confrontational to the ego, if that makes sense.
1: Well, it, art has a funny way of functioning. So it's, it's like in this day and age, too, my, one, my cartoons are usually one frame. And it gives me like in one or two seconds, I can hit people between the eyes you know, or strike him in the heart or get him in the funny bone or something. And it's like amazing. Like we're in this generation now where people are just scrolling, 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 and everything's rapid fire. And here, you know, I got, I can say something in one picture and it just can be really powerful. And, you know, it has a, it has a way of bypassing our intellect sometimes. So when I draw a picture of say Jesus walking with a gay man, and um, Jesus is holding his hand and the guy says, I'm sorry, Jesus, I think I'm gay. And then Jesus says, oh, don't worry, dude. I knew that long before you did. Aww. And people are like, you know, caught off guard because you can't unsee that. You can't unsee Jesus holding the hand of a gay man and, and affirming him where he's at. Mm-hmm. Right. So, and for some people, that's really disturbing. And for other people, it's very comforting.
0: You've done a lot of. Work around this idea of Jesus and the LGBTQ community. It's Mm -hmm. deeply personal to me because someone I have loved my entire life was a pastor Mm -hmm. that was, Mm -hmm. is still, I don't even want to like talk about him too much, but he struggles with that. And it's so heartbreaking that that is, one of the messages of the church and and you mentioned your wife so you yourself are not gay but you have you have taken this on as a mission almost when i go through your cartoons i see a lot of content about being gay and you wrote something called retelling the parable of the prodigal son for today is the lost gay son and i was hoping you would expand on that a little bit here
1: yeah. well i i just want to i just want to say something i i could be married and gay i know i know a lot of people who are in marriages and have discovered they're gay and they're trying to negotiate and you know maneuver and you know navigate that very difficult thing and i want you to tell your pastor friend to check out my cartoons he might really love them that's true but uh but um I, in fact, I, I did a whole book I called The Art of Coming Out um, and it's a book full of my cartoons advocating for the LGBTQ plus community mm-hmm. so um, yeah, so for for me, it's like um, we're, we're like this whole spiritual independence thing um, that I'm advocate for basically I'm advocating for everybody's right to be who they are be who they want to be and and you know, the, the whole idea of, um, of leaving because you feel rejected or you want to try to find life, life elsewhere, but you come back and hopefully to find love and to find acceptance and, and inclusion and so on. Um, fortunately, there are some churches that are inclusive and affirming, and, you know, they're, they're rare, a few and far between, but I think they're increasing, and I hope they are. But still, there's a long way to go where, um, you know, gay people or people of that whole community, LGBTQ+, are, are really struggling to find, um, you know, acceptance. And uh, then, you know, when you get to the whole prodigal son story, it's the elder brother who's, who's you know, doesn't want the other, the, the other brother to come back, the other son to come back. And when he does, he's jealous that he's accepted. I think that I think that says a lot for for what's happening in the church right now,
0: mm. yeah, yeah, yeah. What are your feelings about God now because i I think I saw you somewhere talk about not believing in Jesus, but you talk a lot about Jesus and you draw Jesus, so can you clarify that maybe <laughs> i maybe I misunderstood
1: uh, well, it's very. Uh, I'll try to, I'll try to summarize it. Um, in 2009 for, for decades before that, I had been really in theological anguish trying to figure out why just because I was a Christian who believed in Jesus and God and everything and you know went to church and all that and obeyed the rules why God would love me more than he would love say a Buddhist person that I met who was, seemed to me a far better person. Like, I, I couldn't understand. I couldn't put two and two together. It just didn't make sense to me mm-hmm. how, just because of a thought I had, I was a, you know, I got to go to heaven, and just because of a thought somebody else didn't have, they got to go to hell. Like, that just didn't make sense to me. So, and then plus, to, you know, gay friends and so on. I, I was just in absolute anguish and such anguish, such theological angst that I was ready to throw in the towel and say, fuck it, I'm done, I'm sorry. Uh, you might have to bleep that out. No, no, we swear. Okay, okay. And and I was ready to throw in the towel. And I had a dream one night where I saw a waterfall and a huge waterfall. And for me, in the dream, I knew it was a picture of reality. Above the waterfall, we can't see what's up there. It's invisible to us. But we know it must be a hell of a lot of water from coming from somewhere. Then the water comes over the falls, and it's just humongous there so 's just so much water, gallons and gallons of endless water, and then when it hits the earth, it spreads out all over the earth and and so when I in the dream, I saw that as sort of a Trinitarian structure of reality for Christians, they would say <clears throat> well what 's above the falls what 's invisible, and the infinite source that's God, and then what comes over the falls is the revelation of God, the incarnation, that's Jesus, and then when it hits the earth and spreads everywhere, that's the spirit going throughout the earth and reconciling all things to God. And But then I saw on the other side there was a Buddhist, and on another side there was a Muslim, on the other side there was an atheist, and they are all seeing the same thing but using their own language and ideology and theology and philosophy to apprehend it intellectually and using their own language and so on to articulate it we were all experiencing one reality but we were all sort of filtering it through our own paradigms and using our own language to explain it and and it it just dawned on me that we are all one there's one reality and we're all the only thing that seems to separate us are thoughts I have one thought, you have another thought. It's, we're just doing our best to try to understand and explain reality. And immediate peace of mind came to my brain. Like it was immediate peace of mind and it's never left. That was in 2009. I'm talking 10 years ago. Absolute peace of mind. I, like, I'm like. i not saying I don't worry about things in real life and all that. I'm talking about theologically. Mm-hmm. I realize we're all one. We're all united the only thing that we're, that seems to separate us are our thoughts and the words we use to to explain them. And so when we talk about God, that could be called the infinite source, or it could could be called the invisible, or it could be called the mystery or the universe, or you know, you name it. Um, or or when this or an, a scientist might say the undiscovered, um, and then when it appears or come, it comes into vision or when we understand it, uh, then that for Christians say, Jesus, Muslims might say the Quran and, and the prophet Muhammad, uh, Jews might say the Torah through Moses. Um, and then when the, the spirit, um, spreads throughout the Christians might call that the church, Jews might call that the synagogue, you know, um, Muslims might call it the temple, you know, whatever. Like, it's just, we all just have our language trying to describe the same thing. So when somebody says God, do I believe in God? And I, I'm, I, my first reaction is, well, let's unpack that word. That's so full of baggage, you know. Yeah. It means one thing to you. It means something else to me. It, as somebody else who might not even use the word God might have a, you know, a concept of, an infinite source or the undiscovered or whatever, right? So for me, it's kind of a Buddhist position where there is a God, there is no God. There's a middle path. And, and that's between the two. Because for me, they're two sides of the same coin. Mm-hmm. And I probably have muddied the waters, but that's the best I can do right now. <laughs> yeah, I love,
0: I love the metaphor of water. Actually, when you were describing it, I was definitely getting the God as the source of this waterfall, and and then I was thinking of when it hits the ground and streams out. Each stream yeah. is a different interpretation of that, but they all go back to the same. Place they come from the same place, they go back to the same place, and that's probably intentional. I could just assume mm-hmm. it is because that is what it is. <laughs> but for well, me, yeah. Jesus, I always the water thing really appeals to me because I always say, like, I threw Jesus out with the bath, baby Jesus out with the bath water, and I've in recent years been reconnecting with that because I loved my connection with Jesus when I was very, very small before all the rules and right things got stacked on top of it. But I really love him as a figure of love and peace. And I think he would be right in step with what you were just saying. I think he'd be nodding in agreement and saying, yeah, I think him and Buddha would be best, best friends.
1: Well, one of my cartoons, um, is two people, beside each other and one guy is kneeling praying like a christian would and the person next to him sitting in a meditation posture and the the christian says to the buddhist i hope you don't mind me saying i see the spirit of christ in you and the buddhist says well as long as you don't mind me saying i see the buddha nature in you and it's basically the it's the same thing yes yes different language
0: you kind of chuckled at the beginning when i said hippie witch but that's Honestly, I mean, I love to ask a question like, what is God? Because of the whole thing I just got in response to that. And I love to use the word like witch because of the exact same thing we're talking about right now. Right. And I'm gonna pick. I'm gonna pick a bone with you. How does that? How does that saying go? I got a bone to pick with you.
2: <laughs> All right.
0: I'm gonna argue with you for just a second, but it's really just about semantics. You were saying the word God. Mm. You have to unpack that because it means different things to different people. And in your ebook, which I highly recommend people check out, it's called Money Is Spiritual. And I would love to talk about that because. That's another layer of the spiritual abuse that many of us Mm -hmm. work through when we're coming out of a very intense church upbringing. Yeah, yeah. But in that ebook, you said, I don't believe in magic. I do believe in miracles. And I was like, oh, that's so interesting because you were Mm -hmm. defining magic as something supernatural and. This psychological term, magical thinking, which is basically wishful thinking and can get you into a lot of trouble. And I was thinking, that's so interesting, because to me, I completely see the words flip-flopped. To me, that's what miracles is. And I was like, this is just a semantics thing. Because when I talk about magic, I'm not talking about wishful thinking or petitioning ancient gods for favors or anything supernatural. I'm just talking about something that I think is the most natural thing in the world, and that is our ability to deliberately create a change in consciousness, or sometimes undeliberately, which then changes everything. It changes the way we feel. It changes the way we behave in the world, the actions we take, the people we feel aligned to, the way the world responds to us in kind. And to me, that's
1: magic. That's just and i agree and yeah. i and I, I talk about that in i talk about that in my book
0: yeah, yeah, yeah you absolutely. do you do yeah but i just was like just for fun i just like yeah, yeah, yeah. i just like to play devil's advocate because some people would call that miracle. some people would call that magic and it's it's just another one of those words
1: right so so uh, for me um miracle um, um magic is when you you try to manipulate. You can manipulate what's real, and manipulate God and manipulate reality. That's what I'm I'm talking about. Yes. What, that I I don't believe that you can like supernaturally manipulate reality. Miracle, on the other hand, is when things happen that we cannot explain. So, for example, I go I go into detail in the book where. And, and like you just said, when I change my mind about some certain things, my reality around me changed. But there's a whole lot of steps that I try to dissect that happen in between my mind changing and my reality around me changing. And and so that's what I talk when I talk about miracle. Like I've had what I would call miraculous, weird shit happen to me, right? Mm-hmm. But... I, and and I talk about some of these in the book that have to do with money. And, you know, there's some things I can't explain, but, uh, there's, the, um, so I, I go into, I talk a little bit about the secret, you know, the book, the secret.
0: Oh, yes. It's not well loved in the new age community. I have to say people no. have very strong feelings about it.
1: Right. So I talk a bit about that and I talk, you know, I talk about, for example, the guy who was pretending to drive his um, Porsche or whatever he was, up, the car he wanted, and, and then, you know, a few frames later in the story, there he is driving his Porsche. Well, I, it looks, with the way it's presented, it looks like magic, but when you analyze what really happened, there's a whole lot of things that happen in between his mind changed, his attitude changed, the way he presented himself changed, the way he got aggressive with his business changed, the way he started attracting money into his life changed, all this kind of thing happened. The, the portion just didn't appear because he wished for it. Yes. It took a lot of work in between the, the desire and the manifestation. And so that's what I'm talking about. Yeah, I think, I th- it's miraculous.
0: I think that's another form of spiritual abuse, too, though. When you tell people, just pretend you're driving the car and the the car will happen and they and you do not include all of the steps in between. (laughs)
1: Because that's what I've experienced. And I talk about like coming out of my background, I was I already had a poverty mentality. And then my Christianity, my style of Christianity, heaped on even more poverty mentality and then when I became a pastor, that heaped on even more poverty mentality. I was so unhealthy when it came to money, just in my mind, the way I thought about it. And I had to, I had to fix myself because I'm, I'm a business person. I'm working for myself. I'm an entrepreneur or a, or a freelancer, whatever you want to call me. I had to figure this shit out or I was going to starve to death and my family. So I went to work and I got coaches, I read books, and finally I wrote a book of my own <laughs> so I could figure out what I was thinking. And now I want to share it with other people because what I've seen is a lot of people who come out of Christianity, and the kind of Christianity I grew up in, and maybe you did, is um, we have such unhealthy attitudes about money. And so I, I overcame that And honestly, my life changed. My income changed. Everything changed. So that's why I call the book Money is Spiritual, to try to take away that stigma that money and spirituality don't mix. Mm
0: -hmm. And the the subtitle is 30 Lessons for Overcoming Your Hangups About Money. I will definitely link to that. I like that it's in 30 short but sweet lessons that really Mm -hmm. hit home. And my favorite thing about the book is you. You are extraordinarily vulnerable and transparent. It's quite an eye-opener to me to see a white man of a certain age who is married and has had a successful career sharing that, like, this is something that I went through, you know, in the middle of my life. Not when I was 22 years old and then I figured it all out. Because Because right. I, I just, you just don't see men. Stepping up that way. And the reason I say white man is because you're supposed to be the most privileged one, David.
1: (laughs) I know. So if you
0: are struggling with this, that means... It's something that is so ingrained in society and our culture that it's, I don't know, for me, that was just significant because I thought, so here's a man being completely vulnerable and open about something that's so real for us all. And he's supposed to be in this privileged position. So to me, it was like, if it can happen to him, it can happen to me. And it happens to us all. And there's no shame about it. Let's just start. Let's just start figuring this out.
1: You know, in the book, I, I start and I sprinkle throughout the book disclaimers because I am aware that I, am, I do have privilege. I, I know I do because, like you say, I am a straight white man, and I have privilege. I, I, don't, I have the privilege that, let's say, a gay black man in Alabama might not have. Yes, yes. You know what I'm saying, so I, I'm aware of that. It's I just finished an excellent book I'm recommending to everybody is Melinda Gates' new book, The Moment of Lift, and it's about empowering women and girls throughout the world to elevate society. And you know, she's a billionaire, Bill Gates' wife, and. Uh, and throughout the book, she has to kind of give disclaimers and kind of apologize and, and let people know that she's aware of her privilege. And so when I was writing this book, Money is Spiritual, and sharing my struggles with money and my hang-ups and me trying to overcome them, I'm like, look, listen, I know I've got a head start. I've got, a, you know, I've got some advantages that many, many people don't have. And so I'm, I'm writing it from my perspective, and hopefully you'll be able to apply it to yours somehow even though it may be different, worse, or better. I don't know, but hopefully what I'm talking about, you'll be able to apply to your own.
0: I love that you're reading books for women and girls. The first time I interviewed you, we talked about your book, The Liberation of Sophia. Oh, man. (laughs) And that's another thing I appreciate you as a straight white man is your embrace of... Femininity and mm-hmm. women's issues and mm-hmm. that whole thing is just fascinating to me and empowering because I think so many men want to go there but we need we need more men to go there publicly to to start breaking apart the right. stigma
1: well I remember actually I was I was a young man like I was in my early 20s and i I was reading Mystics and so on, and then I tripped across Carl Jung, and he was writing about the anima and the animus. So the anima is the female aspect of the male. Like, I'm one chromosome short of being a woman, right? And uh, uh, for the woman, it's opposite. And with the animus. So I, I was interested. I have an anima. I have a female aspect to my person. And I started analyzing it and dreaming about her and, you know, exploring her and journaling about her. So I just educated myself on huge aspect of my personality. And so I, I fell in love with my anima. I respect my anima, the female side of me and um, so that now I wrote the Liberation of Sophia. It's 59 drawings of Sophia with 59 meditations, and I still to this day, like even today, honestly, Joe, I get I get people, women, writing me. So I can't believe a man wrote this. It sounds like a woman. <laughs> so uh, okay. you know what I mean. So yeah, yeah it's kind of cool, and uh, and it's it's just my I've got. Eight books out now and that's my best seller by far. It's just I uh, feel
0: that way about the illustrations too. They look like a woman drew them and, and you just you want it's confusing because I want them all. <laughs> I remember yeah. uh uh one of my best friends is really into Sophia. She named her daughter Sophia and and she's the one that introduced me to your work and it, oh. and we both were just like, Which print do you get to hang on the wall? Because <laughs> they're so good especially like her there's a women who run with the wolves vibe. Oh, yeah. She's out in the woods and the trees with the full moon yeah. rising. It's incredible.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. I like uh, it's called wild. That one's called wild.
0: Mm, so run beautiful. with the
1: wolves. Yeah, mm-hmm.
0: yeah. I love it. And then you have this book I wanted to ask you about, too. I just love the title. Questions are the answer. Right. And That's another collection of your cartoons. Yeah.
1: Yes, it is. And it's it, it's a book. Like, it's it's written, and then, and then it's illustrated with cartoons. I've done a lot of cartoons around that whole theme of questions and the value of questions and the, the courage it takes to ask them and to explore them. So, yeah, I wrote that book a few years ago. And, yeah, I'm still getting feedback for that one, too. It's just my... Want to val- I want to just validate people and affirm them and, and give them the green light to go and explore, you know? Um, it's like it's like um, too many people are just happy to stay in town and not wonder what's beyond the walls. But for those people who want to know what's beyond the, the wall and want to know what's beyond civilization and expectations and the rules and the norm and tradition and orthodoxy if they you know most people are like they become spiritual refugees basically they have to leave their comfort zone and go wander and um, without any you know like like refugees today without hardly any resources and So I just wanted to provide a book to people to, you know, give them courage to start looking and exploring and finding their own their own home, you know, spiritually.
0: Speaking of questions, you just answered a question I have about the tagline on your website, like right across the front of it is graffiti artist on the walls of religion and the word wall. I mean, it's such a. It's such a word of the moment right now. Build the right, wall, yeah. keep them out, <laughs> keep them yeah. in. And yeah. so that word really jumped out at me. And, and I just saw it in a very deep way, the walls of religion. And you, you pretty much just answered my question.
1: Yeah, no, that's, I've, had that, I've had that tagline for years. I keep wanting to change it and people are like, no, don't. It's perfect. You know, yeah, it's perfect.
0: It really is perfect. And, and the graffiti, graffiti is such a symbol of freedom and it's, it's the people's art, you know? So I I really, it's powerful.
1: Yeah. It's, it's, it's street level. It's not anti-social because the, the graffiti, like let's say Banksy, of course, everybody's heard of Banksy. um, It's, it's sending a message. Like it's, banksy doesn't want to destroy society he wants to improve it and liberate it and and um, i feel the same way i'm not anti-religion i'm not anti-spiritual i'm not anti-god you know none of that i i just you know wish that we could do things in a healthy way and and that's what i'm concerned about uh, is is you know if we're going to be religious, if we're going to form religious and spiritual communities, can we please do it in a healthy manner? <laughs> and keep
0: know. asking questions because yeah. I think over time, I think. Probably, I would imagine many of our world religions started from a very beautiful place. And mm-hmm. then it just evolves over time, as us humans love to do. We just layer fear on top. Here's another layer of fear. Here's another layer yeah. of fear. We try to control and control. And so when a religion gets older, I think it becomes deformed and distorted with all these layers of fear and attempts at control. So questions, right. when you say questions are the answer, that's, to me, that's how we start to unravel all of that.
1: Yeah, my, my, my point basically is that we should come to a place, I take us through three stages of questions. The first one, and I compare it to a door, the first one is open or closed questions. That's an immature, less mature posture where you want yes or no answers to your questions. Is there a heaven? Is there a hell? Is there a God? Is, you know, am I saved? Is that person not saved? You know, all this kind of stuff. And it's yes or no. The next one is swinging, where the door's kind of swinging open and closed. And those ones are I'm not sure, you know, I'm, I'm kind of having questions about hell. I'm kind of having questions about God. I, if I stop believing in hell, does that mean I'm going to go to hell? You know, this kind of stuff. And then the final stage is, is open. Uh, open questions where you're comfortable with just the question. You don't need an answer. So like when somebody s- says to me, asks me, do you believe in God? I feel very comfortable with living with that question. Just living with the questions without an answer, a yes or no answer, or a swinging answer, like sometimes yes, sometimes no. I'm just, I'm just happy with the question. Is there a God? That, let's explore that. Let's live with that. Let's live with that mystery and and see what, what happens, you know? So that's, that's the whole point of the book is questions are the answer. They don't. Not, the best questions don't lead to the answer. The best questions um, are where we can actually live.
0: Yeah. You know? And the best questions lead to more questions.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. They, they reproduce.
0: <laughs> That's one of the joys of being an artist, of drawing or writing or creating is the questioning the questioning mm-hmm. and seeing actually what you think and feel about things because sometimes mm-hmm. you just don't know until you get it up on the page right <laughs> and then right. you get to continue do i believe that is that true like you just keep going deeper and deeper and deeper and to me that's the quest of living a creative life is
2: just
1: right
0: there's always another layer of questions below 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 and you never get exactly. to the end of it all
1: no that's right and and so if we can do that with a peaceful mind and a peaceful heart like in repose and be relaxed about it and you know, not be anxious um and you know uh, like i used to be so, like i said i was so full of angst i needed to know what the answer was and then i realized just living with the question was where the peace was just being at peace with the question so if we can if we can just live with questions and you know that in a peaceful way, uh, then, you know, that, that's where I am now. I, I mean, the peace of mind that I had sought for, for my whole life, it's, it's wonderful. And, uh, I, I want others to experience that. And, and the way you do that is by just relaxing and resting with the questions.
0: Mm-hmm. And, and a mm-hmm. good question to ask if you don't know is, can I be okay not knowing right now in this moment?
1: exactly and exactly. you can keep
0: asking that same question <laughs> as a kind of mantra i'm okay can i be okay with not knowing just right now yes yeah. for right now i can and yeah and then you meet the next now that way
1: right right absolutely
0: well thank you so much for taking the time to do this i'm excited to point people using links to point them to your books and and your website where if people are on the go right now and driving and they just want a url to remember or your favorite social media what what could you tell them
1: well, just nakedpastor.com. That's where my website is, and um, from there, you like I'm on everything. I'm on Twitter and LinkedIn and Instagram and Facebook, and and I got a fan page on Facebook and Pinterest. You know, you name it. I'm and if you Google naked pastor one word, <clears throat> don't do naked and then pastor. Oh yeah, don't do that. You'll see some <laughs> you'll see some horrible things. And uh that you can't unsee. So Nick Patter <laughs> or or David Hayward, you know, um, I'm everywhere. And I'm really good at responding to people when they reach out to me.
0: Thank you. That's so cool. I have one question that I always ask that I think I'm gonna tailor for you. I always ask, like, what's That's, your one tip for creating the kick-ass life of your dreams? But let's let's tailor it a little bit and say, what is your one tip for beginning? a path of of peace?
1: I'll tell you, I'll tell you, the the most difficult question for me to answer for most of my life was a question a mentor of mine asked me when I left the church. He said, well, David, what do you want? And I couldn't answer that question because I wasn't allowed to want I was so obedient and so self-sacrificing and so surrendering and submissive that I I I thought all I could know think about was what God wanted or whatever right and so for me to answer that question what do you want I finally I finally after a long time and a lot of work figured that out and that's between me and myself and I but if, ask yourself that question. What do I want? What do I want? And then when you figure out what you want, go for it.
0: Mm. Thank you. That was awesome. Mm-hmm. The whole thing. Thank you so much.
1: Nice to talk with you. And hi, everybody. And maybe we'll see you online.
0: So that is the naked pastor. What do you think? How did you all like David? What do you think about spiritual abuse and how it ties in to having a poverty mentality? It's pretty interesting stuff. Super interesting, and we can totally continue this conversation if you want on social media or over on Patreon or you can go join David's group, the the what is it? The Last The Lasting Supper if you want to talk to other people that are in the process of moving through the residual effects of spiritual abuse and trying to find their way to freedom. It's a worthy endeavor for sure. And I can't let you go without another song for the Summer of Magic. This is the second to last one and then I'll be wrapping up the Summer of Magic theme but we have to give a special shout out to Johanna Warren of Spirit House Records for being the musical sponsor here for the summer of magic summer 2019 thank you Johanna if you're listening there are people making playlists of the tracks that I've been playing here all summer long and I think that's really cool it's had a very specific vibe to it with with this I don't know this kind of groovy witchy ethereal thing going on and i think that is just perfect perfect for summer and this song too it's it's by an artist named leah thomas and the song is from way up here and i think of like driving on a perfect Summer day through the countryside when I hear this song. Or a beautiful spring or fall day. Like the weather is perfect and you're just cruising with no place to be. I think she just has a knack for pairing a melody with lyrics. And I love that over on Bandcamp, she actually listed some of the lyrics out to this song. So I'm going to read them because I can. Because they're on her website and I think they're really cool and they kind of tie in to to today's subject talking about God and whatnot so she says from way up here from way up here the earth looks very small it's just a little ball of stone and sea and sand no bigger than my hand from way up here from way up here the earth looks very small they shouldn't fight at all down there on that little sphere time is short their lives are just a day. you think they'd find a way to get along and fill their sunlit days with song. Isn't that beautiful? It stands alone, but wait till you hear it with the music. It's even better with the music. So here she is, Leah Thomas, with, from way up here. And until we meet again, much love to you. Peace.